All right. Arch, I thought of a new um, tagline for you at the end, but I don't know if you're going to like it. Um, we can always throw it in the ever-growing pile of ones I don't like, so go right ahead. <laughs> well, well, because they're they're coming out every Tuesday. Okay. So someone gave me the idea for see you next Tuesday. Nice. And then you get to call the audience cunts every week. I do. I so do. think about it. Okay. Considering. <laughs> Consider. Put, considering. Put in, that's been moved to the considering pile. Yeah. There's something for you. So I could say stay kinky and stay positive, And you could say. See you next Tuesday. Isn't that. I had a feeling. You're smiling. Um, I think that might go. I just have a lot of memory with that phrase. Like I just. Yeah. There have been times, yeah. You're used to saying it? I mean, I usually say, see you next Tuesday, cunts. So. I like that even better. Right? Yeah, say that. It's like a double cunt. <laughs> All right. Yeah, that seems like you're doing it wrong. <laughs> Don't judge how we kink around here. <laughs> the opposite effect of see you next Tuesday. <laughs> I like it. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Kink Positive Podcast. I'm That Bad Teacher. And I'm Master Arch. We're a dominant sub from opposite sides of the country that come together every week to share our love of kink and BDSM. We'll be sharing our perspectives as a professional dominant and a professional educator. This podcast will contain adult topics and themes, so consider yourself warned. You cunts. <laughs> yeah, you cunts. <laughs> Fuck shit. There you go. Arch and I hope to lend our perspectives in the name of education. We are kink professionals, but we are not therapists or medical professionals. However, today we do have a mental health counselor on with us. We're going to be discussing stigma and shame and the healing aspect of kink as it relates to mental health. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at kink positive podcast at elemental kink and at that bad teacher. My Twitter is at all for arch. And don't forget, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash kink positive podcast for ad free video episodes as well. Beautiful. All right, so let's introduce Mandy to everybody. Mandy, welcome to our show. Thanks for coming on and talking with us. Hey, thanks for having me. I love the show. All three episodes so far, but All three I'm, episodes. I'm really liking it. It's really good. Thank yeah. you. So she's been listening and I apologize to everyone for blowing their eardrums out with our music because I didn't know our music was so loud. Thanks to everybody that gave us feedback on that too. Uh, I'm looking at you, boss man. Yeah, I'm glad somebody <laughs> told me because nobody told us. I had three episodes with the music too loud, but I think I figured out how to fix it. So we should be good. Okay. Well, that see, that went from the considering pile to right to HR, right to customer service. <laughs> so we care. We care about our listeners' ears on this podcast. Yeah, we do. Yeah. But levels are important. Mandy, do you want to introduce yourself and just give everyone a little bit of your background and your professional experience? Sure. Um, so I'm Mandy, uh, Mandy Rhymes on FET. Um, I am a mental health counselor with limited permit right now. I'm just starting out. Um, I have a master's in uh, clinical mental health counseling. And 
I've really just started out, but I've basically been practicing with my practical experience for the past year. So I've been doing counseling for over a year um, and under supervision. So um, right now I work with pretty much anybody, um, but my goal is to start working with people in the LGBTQ community um, and to work with people in the King community as well, because I think there's a really big need for that in, and people who understand it and accept it, because even within the mental health community, um, you know, mental health counselors, social workers, licensed professional counselors, whatever you call it, um, there are some people who aren't positive in that aspect. And I think I really want to try and be that person for other people. So um, I'm really excited to be talking to you guys. And I'm hoping, I, I do want to say, none of what I say constitutes actual medical advice. Um, I highly encourage anybody who, if something resonates with them, talk to your own counselor. If you don't have a counselor, form a relationship with one. And I think later we'll be talking about some resources to help people find that. Yeah, I know it can be frustrating. Some of the counselors that I've gone to, like I've held more knowledge than they did. So our sessions were mostly them asking questions around stuff that I needed them to know anyway. And we just kind of got sidetracked and I just didn't feel like my money was going anywhere except like I'm paying you to teach you about this lifestyle. Like, right. Frustrating. It's actually funny. I've had clients who they start to talk about that stuff and I present totally differently uh, in my current practice. So they look at me and they're like, oh, I don't know if I can tell, tell them this. And they say it and I don't even bat an eye. And I'm thinking in my head, I thought you were going to say something so much worse. I know way more extreme <laughs> kinks than what you're talking about. What a resource you'll be then, because oh, it's, so, it's so hard to find. Um, why, why don't you guys talk a little bit about where people can find, since we're on the topic, mental health professionals. So where should they look? They're looking for someone who is kink friendly. So in general, psychology today is a great resource. Um, and they do have a filter we were just discussing where you can find someone who's kink friendly. Um, and then there's CAP, which is kink and poly aware. Um, it's actually all sorts of professionals. Um, that is not just mental health. So that's a great resource. They have to have a certain knowledge base, take certain classes just to be qualified for it. Um, something I'm actually in the process of working on myself. Um, and that way, you know, going in that they are informed, they know what it's about, they're accepting, um, and you can find them and, you know, match them up with, um, match up with your counselor or other professional right on there. It's super easy. Is it still the term blue dove? Do they still use that term? I'm actually not familiar. Okay. In the early days of getting therapy off of the CAP guide, uh, the YWCA in the town that I grew up in, like by calling and saying that you needed a blue dove therapist, that was somebody who was kink, BDSM, like fully licensed, like to handle that type of situation. And I don't know if that was still a term that was used on the CAP guide. So you guys have found counselors through there before? I have in the early in the early days they always suggested the YWCA because the YWCA was the only place that exclusively hired blue dove therapists. Yeah, and I I haven't personally, but um yeah, as I said I'm I'm fairly new to the King community, but several kind of older people within the community more established people told me about it and said, you can get registered there once you take those classes. So it's definitely, um, people are aware of it and it sounded like they had had pretty good experiences, so. 
I'd be interested to see who is teaching those classes to therapists about BDSM to get them. That's a great also. question. Some yeah. of the courses are $69, which I thought was funny. Um, <laughs> that was on purpose. <laughs> yes, no, no doubt. And um, some of them, there, there are courses you can go through universities, um, but some of it is just, you know, people within the community because that's who's really going to understand it and be able to mm-hmm. help inform. Interesting. Mm-hmm. We'll put that in our description so people can access the link for that. And Mandy, you had said something in the beginning about a, uh, someone coming to you and what they thought was an extreme kink you know like that yeah. really speaks a lot to the stigma that people carry around kink and just it, that they're in this place of tabooness and they're in this place of extremes and it, it it's very much you know it, it, it speaks a lot to community and what how people receive kink absolutely individually yeah um you know uh, if you ask a therapist what type of therapy to practice you're gonna get a million different answers depending on their style um a big element to my style is person-centered therapy um mm-hmm. and and there's two main tenets that i you know if i was just going to describe it in two sentences one is meet the client where they are and the two is practice non-judgment so actively not judging. And so I make sure my clients are aware that that's something I do. Um, I don't judge. If you tell me Mm -hmm. something, as long as it's not like you are going to harm someone else or yourself, it's confidential and I'm not holding it against you. Um, So even just them saying that they knew I was not somebody who was going to hold it against them, but it was still something they weren't sure they wanted to talk about within the context of the session. Um, So yeah, it's, it's interesting. I partially think that was also because at the time I was an intern and so they weren't sure if I'd be able to handle it, but right. um, which is why I think that this is such an important resource because you want to know that the person who's there is prepared and ready to deal with what you have to deal with. To your point, you don't want to you know pay people to have to learn. You want right. to be able to just go in and have them help you and if you don't have to have a 20 minute preamble about, you know, what you're into, you have 20 minutes more in the session. Well, and it's always been interesting to me too, as an extreme player and somebody who met extreme personalities where they stood and like it, I've heard a lot. I don't even tell my therapist this. And it's just like, why are you making your sex worker, your pro dom or your, even your regular dom, why are you sharing that? Like, why can you not incorporate that into your therapy? Why does it have to be so taboo that you've got a space for non-judgment? You've got a space for discussing issues, trauma, but you instead choose to give it to me. Yeah. You guys have talked about on one of the previous episodes, uh, doms who say that they are a therapist um there can absolutely be therapeutic elements to bdsm and kink absolutely Mm -hmm. um that should not be the only resource right we we also say that kink is not a replacement for therapy in any way shape or form exactly and there, there are benefits because you know it allows people to explore concepts in a safe place Mm -hmm. um and really, the, I think the important thing is 
having that safety in a, from a potentially traumatic situation. As a therapist, if someone is talking to me about something traumatic, as they're starting to go into it, I will remind them, this is not happening right now. You are safe right now. This is, you are okay. And I will watch them more carefully if I see them showing more, you know, nerves or agitation. I'm going to say, okay, you know what? This is a lot for you. Let's stop. Let's breathe. You know, we're going to get through this. We need to talk about this, but we're going to go slow. And you have some elements of that within, you know, if you have a very good, very attentive dom, they're going to be careful like that. But if you don't, and you accidentally get into a situation and you don't, for whatever reason, feel comfortable using a safe word or something like that, um, then you're in over your head very quickly. So mm-hmm. having somebody, there, there's specific um, trauma-aware counseling techniques. There's not specific trauma-aware kink techniques that I'm aware of. So Right. Well, and I don't understand either why more people don't go to their therapists and discuss the scenes that they're doing and plan on doing and have another set of eyes on them and have another set of ears listening to you know what is going to be done and what the fantasy entails and what the reality might entail and give those people those avenues because I usually have to be the one to be the voice of reality in their fantasy lives in the end or it's just like okay this is what you think this is what you feel this is how you want to express those feelings through kink. This is how you want to grow through the experience of you expressing your feelings. Like it just, nothing prepared me for that at all. And I think that everybody's extreme may vary, but I think that the extreme players that I play with on a personal and professional level, like, they need that recognition they need that place to be human almost because it just they've been pushed out of whatever for whatever reason you know personal shame that they carry or stigma attached to whatever it is that they're doing but that comes that, that comes as like a given that comes as a given for a lot of people that I talk to, especially old guard guys that just nobody accepted that they were gay. Nobody accepted that they were queer. Nobody accepted that they were anything. And it just to find relief through leather, find relief through rough people and rough personalities. I mean, that's, it's it's hard to imagine, but it happens a lot. There's something you said in there that's really important. I want to highlight a lot of people coming into trying to deal with kink or trying to deal with trauma through kink have a lot of shame mm-hmm. and shame is a very isolating thing. You know, there's um, Brene Brown is a researcher who does a lot of stuff on shame and um, she finds guilt versus shame. Guilt is I did something bad. That's bad. Shame is I did something bad. I'm bad. So it's personalizing it. And then you don't want to talk to anyone about it because you feel like you're bad because you did that thing. Um, So a lot of people will, you know, then go to a place that they know is very accepting, like the kink BDSM world. Um, And I think that's, they're trying to find that community so they don't feel as isolated in that shame. So that's a good thing. It's a good instinct. Mm -hmm. We're social beings, but it's not always safe. 
So I think it's definitely important for them to also have a therapist if they're going to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think, or, I think, go ahead. I was going to say, or a good emotional sadist. But... <laughs> sure, sure. That too. One thing I wanted to talk about the shame aspect is that there's like the levels of shame through kink. So there's like the pre kink shame where like you feel shame within yourself because you just know that you want this thing. There's mm-hmm. your shame within the scene. And then there's your shame after that you did the scene. So like, it's a whole like gamut that like, is you're going through of these then, different levels of. Then why aren't there more people coming to terms with the fact that it's based in that and looking for emotional sadists to play with that? I think a lot of people conflate the feeling of physical pain and emotional pain. That's why people practice self-injury um, because they can feel something instead of that emotional mm-hmm. pain. Um, which is which, interesting to interject on just for a second and meeting someone who self-harms and then acknowledging it and be like, hey, if you ever need help with that, let me know. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, just it always catches them off guard. They're just like, wait, what? That was something you'd want to be a part of? Like, what? Yeah. It, it shows that you give somewhat of a shit. And also, if they aren't here you can't fuck with them so it's important Mm -hmm. for them you know you to keep them there Mm -hmm. shame it's a really tough thing to deal with on your own um and i think it's important that people deal with it safely with other people and Um, that can totally mean your support network including mm -hmm. a therapist and a dominatrix Mm -hmm. or a play partner or a you know community that encourages you to go and get the shit beat out of you on a regular basis. I think the more that we look at these parts of ourselves, the less and less shameful it is. And the more you reach out to people, you see how common and acceptable a lot of the things are mm-hmm. that we tend uh, to feel are actually, extreme. I heard a study. So there are about, in the, the population that they surveyed, there was about 7% of people that would have said they were BDSM practitioners but there were about 60 to 70% of people that said they were interested in kink. So it's more common than I think a lot of people would realize kink in general, Mm -hmm. just when you get into the, are you a practitioner? Like that just sounds scary. You know, like it it sounds like, oh, you must be that person who's, you know, been doing this for a long time and knows exactly what they're doing. No, you can practice it without being an expert. Yeah. Or good at it. (laughs) <laughs> yes apparently yeah that happens mm-hmm. working in the general direction of a couple of my exes and done <laughs> sounds um, like you have some stuff to unpack arch uh-huh uh-huh yeah louis yeah. vuitton bags just full 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 at least they're good quality bags i mean they're baller that's that's the point put it in a convenient package like that so you, you okay. kind of brought up the three different types of shame um kind of before during and after and we discussed offline at another point the reason people will bring their trauma into kink is because they can control it and they control it before during and after you control it with negotiation you control it with safe words and you control it with aftercare um so if the same thing can be done with shame, 
So if you know you're going to be dealing with something that's touchy, or even if you're like, I, I'm really struggling with the fact that I want to do this, like, you know, um, for example, ABDL, a lot of people have shame related to that. So the negotiations need to make, make sure that like, there's an out. The safe words need to make sure that there's an out. And afterwards, they need to check in and be like, okay, was this empowering to you or did this hurt you more? Mm -hmm. um, in the aftercare, you need to follow up with stuff like that. So, um, and it can be empowering. It can allow someone to relive something in a safe environment where they have control where they didn't before. Mm -hmm. But if it's not done with those steps in place, and it's not done with a conscientious dom who's going to make sure they follow up, then it could increase the shame. It could cause a shame spiral. Um, and, and that's really, you know, a point where a therapist would need to step in and be like, hey, no, like if, if you're in a shame spiral right now, you need to understand what you're doing is not wrong. And that's the difference between a non-informed therapist and an informed therapist. Um, I can tell somebody to their face, no problem. Um, the fact that you went to a sex party last weekend and got flogged in front of people is not a bad thing. A lot of people do that. Right. I'm not going to go tell them that I saw that last weekend, but you know, I can tell them that it's okay. I hypnotize people with their shame spirals. Interesting. Mm -hmm. That is really interesting. Yeah. I think there's different levels to it. So I think that we we kind of come to terms with shame over certain things, like something that was shameful one day, like now you're embracing it and it's not shameful anymore. But in kink, things are always evolving and changing and growing, you know, for ourselves or, you you know, I guess everyone's different, really. Some people dig a little bit deeper than others, but, you know, you'll find new things to like feel bad about. And I think the shame spiral is a really interesting thing. Like I've never heard that before. And then you were talking about the three different types of shame. What are those? Well, so you kind of mentioned, um, you know, someone being ashamed going into a session, someone being shamed during a session and, and having shame then after the session. So it's kind of the three, I guess stages would be a better term. Okay. Interesting. So, yeah. Right. And I so think they, that, go ahead. So the, yeah, they might be ashamed that this is a new thing they like, and they're going to do like when I saw a pronoun for the first time, I was so sketched out walking in there. I didn't want anyone to see me because I was ashamed. And then when I started having to verbalize the things I wanted to do in the negotiation process, mm. even though I, I was in a dungeon and I felt shame around saying my kinks, mm. right? And then afterwards, um, we had done play that, you know, I had stuff on my face that I had to get rid of because literally I was going from there directly to my internship as a counselor. So I need to make sure none of that was visible um, because I would, I felt ashamed that I had done that. And also it's just not professional. Uh, so that was a little bit on me. Yeah. That's I, some time, time management. Yeah. yeah look, I'm not, I, I, I'm ADHD. I am awful at time management, but um, yeah, don't schedule a heavy scene right before you need to go do something. Right. Exactly. So um, we, you know, I could have easily had shame after that too. Um, and it took a lot, you know, it was after the first session, it got easier, but that um, that day was good and helped me through it that way. So yeah, does that make sense? Yes, that makes cool. sense. And I think we're talking about 
two different types of shame here. Like the, I'm talking about the regular old shame that like we all tend to get here and there about different things. Whereas like art is talking about more playing with shame. That's like a whole other thing, like playing intentionally with feelings of shame with emotional masochism in that way. So like, I don't, that would be good. Good. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that must, that must be a really great way to confront like your regular old shame in general with working within shame within those parameters. It just leads me to, it just, it allows me to meet people where they're at. You know, and it's just like, if you want someone to flog you, there are plenty of dudes in this scene that'll flog you, you know, like that can all, that's all something you can find and within the realm of something you can find, but really finding the emotional status like that, it's hard. It's hard, you know, it involves really paying attention to people and people really don't have that much attention to devote to other people as much as they say they're emotionally available for this you know so it really and again I mean it brings to light things that you're gonna have to deal with like once we go past this point you're gonna have to I have to know that you're strong enough to deal with the fact that you've been shown this you know and I I don't I don't get feedback past immediate feedback with a lot of people but I wonder how a lot of people are doing past our scene you know mm-hmm. I mean, partners I've had that I've done this for personal reasons and was attracted to and was in personal relationship with I really wonder like what did that do for you like do you see the benefit of that that I had in mind when we did that you know I don't know yeah debrief is important mm-hmm. you know um and but debrief like a year later or three years later or two years you know like that type of thing like yeah, I, and like that would be so. For example, let's say someone went and saw you, mm-hmm. and something got brought up. You could address it there, and that's the perfect thing to bring to a king aware therapist after that. If that's something they like, wow, that really brought something up I wasn't expecting, or like we were dealing with this shame. Like that is the mm-hmm. perfect thing to to bring to that. Um, and so in ways kink and mental health can go hand in hand. There's actually not a disproportionate difference between people in the kink community um, having mental health issues, um, which is a common misconception, but it exists. Mm -hmm. We were talking about some study that we found that was kind of conflating the two things together, that like X amount of people who are into kink also have, you know, mental health issues. And I mentioned that to you and you were like, well, that's correlation, not causation. Right, exactly. So just because the people that you surveyed all had this does not mean one thing caused the other. Um, you're, you're putting the cart before the horse there. And, you know, even if it correlates perfectly, it doesn't mean it caused it. So good point. Very nice. Cool. All right. See, and my goal is to cause new traumas in their lives. So you'll keep me in business. Exactly. 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 It's a good thing. It's a it's a circular symbiotic relationship, I guess. Symbiotic spiral. (laughs) Well, I think it's the on the safety point, it's the illusion of safety. So we don't want to lean on our partners as therapists. We talked about that in previous episodes. And when we are doing that type of dark play or any like trauma type play. You're creating a safe space and you might know 
ahead of time, some of the risks that you think may come up, but even though the trauma is not happening right then, it feels like it's happening right then. So things can come up that you're not expecting that might make you feel unsafe or make it not like a safe space. And Arch had mentioned, if you're going to do that type of play, do it with a kink informed therapist as well. Like do it with therapy where you're, you know, talking to someone, you know, as you're going through these difficult scenes as to why people don't open up to their therapists about those things. I'm not sure why maybe it's that they haven't found the right person or they haven't asked the right questions. So I know when we're trying to build a relationship with our typical vanilla therapist, you know, we'll ask questions about their practicing style and things like that. Like you mentioned before, what do you think that people who are coming to a kink-friendly therapist might ask to help build that relationship? That's a really good question. And the relationship is huge. Um, The therapeutic rapport is what the technical term for it is. But if you don't have that, you're not going to feel safe and you're not going to open up. Um, I think a lot of it comes down to experience. So actually in my own counseling life, um, I had a therapist who was great. I still see her actually. Um, but when I started dealing with my gender identity, um, she was brand new to the field. And even though I was also in the same situation she was in, um, I sought a therapist who had 20 years of experience with LGBTQ. Uh, and I saw two therapists for a little while. Uh, and I then had to open up and be like, yeah, I'm cheating on you with another therapist. Um, but, um, being able to say, okay, well, what experience do you have? Like, are you kink informed or are you kink aware? Mm-hmm. Kink informed, like they might understand some of it. Kink aware, they might be in the community and they've- Right, done- like that's kind yeah. of my question. Like, how do you go about, at, like, is that just, is that okay to ask? Like those types of questions, like if they're practicing or- So the tricky part is counselors are kind of trained not to talk about themselves. Right, yes. So you can ask just very generally, like, look, I know you might not want to share specifics, are you involved in the kink community? Have you done scenes before? Um, because then just it's ask an them extension their, yeah. of their resume or, or maybe like at how, that point. Yeah. Or maybe right. like, how does your kink practice affect your therapy style? Yeah. That's a great way to say it. Um, I think also understanding like the limits of their knowledge. So for <laughs> example, uh, cap includes kink and polyamory. But if you were to look at the courses that they recommend you take, um, the kink classes and the polyamory classes are separate levels. So what if they only took the first level? So they're kink aware, or kink informed. Well, um, and again, I would love to know who's teaching these people their classes, you know, and mm-hmm. giving them the knowledge that they have, because it's like this by when you hire a therapist and you ask them all these questions, like it shows you're going to get the most out of your therapy. Mm-hmm. It shows them that you really are taking your mental health seriously. And I think any therapist worth their grain is going to be like, Hey, that's a little beyond what I know and be honest with you and tell you right away. Instead of just saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm good with that. Yeah. I know that. Yeah. You know, like, I've had therapists that, again, like, I've, it, it, it seemed more like the experience they had was based on just, just being progressive or woke enough to say this isn't abuse. 
that you know like that's where i stand like i believe in kink and i believe that it's a valid expression of sexuality and it's not abuse that's all i know and it is like mm-hmm. <laughs> okay yeah. that doesn't really you know make like, me feel comfortable launching into all my weird shit right right and right. you also you don't want a therapist that's going to be like oh my god same like you know you want a therapist who's going to be like yes i do understand that yes i have experience with this but even within that a good therapist is going to ask qualifying questions um if you get a straight answer from a therapist it must have been a very obvious question because a lot of times we'll get kind of beat around the bush with something but one of the things i do even if i've had in my opinion the exact same experience or almost the exact same experience i'll say you know what i know what that was like for me tell me more that what that was like for you which is the very person-centric answer to give yes exactly and i want to make sure I mean, like right now, like little mental exercise. Think of a tree. Okay. What tree did either of you think of? I'm, I'm thinking of what Arches tree probably looks like. <laughs> right. So I think of the willow tree that was in my parents' backyard. You might have thought of an evergreen. You might have thought of a birch mm-hmm. or a redwood. So when you say kink, what do you mean? When Even when you say... Right impact play when you say sex work like sure or I sex people all the time that i'm a sex worker and they go immediately to prostitute and it's just like okay thanks i'm flattered but no check your privilege like there's way more it just it show it gives the opportunity to have a conversation mm-hmm. right you know and so it and it's all about being clear and being honest i'm not gonna lie to you i know that clients lie if if a client is like, oh, I'm sorry, I lied. I'm like, no, that's fine. Like you weren't comfortable to talk about it yet. So you made something up and I understand that. Um, I'm just glad they get back to it, right? Clients lie to therapists. We know that, but they don't get anything out of it when they do that. Except someone that holds them accountable for lying and doesn't judge them for lying. Because if you're meeting somewhere where they're at and recognizing that oh you have the penchancy to lie this is going to be really hard for us and i as your therapist am going to have a hard time believing what it is you're saying because i know that liars don't stop lying you know like it it just liars will always be liars cheaters will always be cheaters like you can't right against it Part of my unconditional positive regard, I do believe people can change. And if they if they open up about something, they and they said, you know what, I lied to you about this. I don't want to shame them for it because, again, for they they had a reason to lie. Um, But but do you make a mental note and be like later when they're complaining about their relationship? It's like, well, yeah, because you're not an honest person. Like, I mean, you get to that point where you're like, yeah, yeah, you lied to me, like on first meeting what are you doing to this person yeah i mean to a degree um i'm also somebody who's so my undergraduate degree was communications so nonverbal mm-hmm. communication is big for me so i'm really into trying to read their nonverbals. Mm-hmm. um so if somebody tells me they lied i will look for the tell that look for that i also play poker so okay. not very well but um you know it's fun so yeah no i in trying to find do you play poker because you enjoy it or do you play it because you're honing your skills on how to read people? 
Oh, no, I enjoy it, but I'm all okay. So, yeah, I'm okay. a contributing gambler, as they say. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. we, don't, we don't judge the degenerates on this show. <laughs> Any form that sin takes for you, we're cool with. We're super cool with. Hail but, Satan. And there's a difference between, like, a pathological liar who lies, like, regularly into everyone and someone lying to, you know, because they're uncomfortable sharing something, which is a good way for you to put it, because I think that's probably why people have those, like, omission tendencies. Right, mm-hmm. and I'm just someone getting out of a relationship with a pathological liar, so. <laughs> right, so you, yeah, and I mean, I think, like, you, yeah, don't date another pathological liar with the hopes that they'll change. Obviously. Obviously, <laughs> but I do hear what she's saying as well, that, like, yeah, I mean, I think that I agree with both of you, like, some patterns are pretty ingrained in us, but I think when people want to change enough, they can, like, people quit addictions, people can do hard things, but it, it takes, the you know, takes a lot it take it it takes their life dissolving all around them and everyone around them to leave them to for them to see that it, it mm-hmm. really takes whatever your rock bottom is that's what it is and you may see rock bottom several times in your life and may not know it because it doesn't look the same way it did with alcohol it doesn't look the same way it did with whatever but if you're gonna an addict will always have that within them you know mm-hmm. yes yes addiction special example but yeah. it is a special example right that's a tough a, one yeah, we're not i i talk to a lot of people that have history of this and it's like is findom really the best thing for you if you have a history of addiction or is Finnom the best thing for you because it takes you to a rock bottom immediately and puts your problems right in front of you and say, look, this is why nobody wants to be with you. This is why nobody can, you know, like understand this because it just, you're putting it all out there and you're giving it to someone. And that's why you mentioned that the therapeutic, what did you, what was it called? Therapeutic rapport. The therapeutic rapport. Like I'm getting that with my clients because I'm doing things with them actively that challenge what they could be doing in therapy, that actively challenge their addictions, that test their willpower, that test their traumas. You know, it's really amazing, amazing that, you know, I, I get those front row tickets to that. It's a very sacred place for me to see someone's shit show, you know, firsthand or whatever it is. That's a really interesting perspective because when we talk about the benefits of, you know, trauma-based play and the mm-hmm. mental health benefits of kink, I think we normally think of whoever's, whatever partner's trauma is being confronted in that moment. But you're saying that for you, even though helping, you're helping someone else through their stuff, that's a, a help benefit to you. Well, it helps me understand better what their motivations are in this sure you know? and it just like to me i need to i've always said this that intent is just as important as consent so i might have your consent to do something but i'm gonna also tell you that is my intent to fuck you up be, beyond like i need to be clear and tell people exactly what it is that i'm doing to them you know, and it may take away a little bit of the spontaneity of it, but at least it puts us on a level of like, you were told, <laughs> you were, you were told and you were made aware of what was going to happen before any of this went down. 
you know. I think that's a good quality that you have. It's a warning label. I come with a warning label. Well, that I, that's a good thing. So we're having an episode on dark play coming up soon here. And Aaron, Kinky Baron on Instagram posted something about a dark play class that he was making. And he asked for just like we do with, you know, our audience, mm-hmm. like some feedback and stuff about what makes you feel safe with a partner for dark play. And one of the first things I thought of was when the person is consistent, like in who they are and like, they tell you that stuff up front, which mm-hmm. is like, you know, I think you're really good at that. No, like that's so uh, in therapy, like we have informed consent. It's not just consent. Like, yes, I want to do therapy with you. There's things I need to tell you to make sure, you know, before we start a session. So for example, things are confidential, except for if I think you are an imminent harm to yourself or others. Um, what is imminent harm translate so, to? So imminent harm. Just asking for a no, this, I, I'm this laughing because of course. Yeah. What is imminent danger, imminent harm okay. for so, educational so, purposes? Absolutely. So basically, look, they're, having a suicidal ideation is not enough reason for me to have someone go to a hospital. Um, you know, I'll be honest. I've had suicidal ideations in my life before. Having the thought is not a terrible thing. Once I think there's a plan where they have access to means, um, then I get a little more concerned and I have a very straight up conversation of, okay, so you, you've said you have the ideation, you have the way to do it. Like you need to basically explain to me why you're not going to, or we need to get you know the police involved or we need to get to the hospital. Um, so basically I think if I don't do something now, or if they leave that room right then that someone's going to get hurt, that is imminent. So just to ask another question around that. So what if it's social suicide they're about to do? What if they admit to you that this weekend I'm going on Twitter and I'm posting a picture of myself in an identifying place just to get a sexual thrill? And you know that that will lead to their firing. It will lead to the dissolving of their marriage. It will dissolve, It will lead to kids being put in other homes because they're not fit parent. I mean, what what is the protocol on that type of thing? So that, I can't make a choice for them. Okay. What I will do is inform them. Um, the Again, our fancy term for it is psychoeducation. Okay, so I understand you're thinking about, you know, telling all your family and friends and the whole world in one go that, you know, you are into this thing that is definitely going to be considered taboo. Um, Have you considered the fact that, you know, your job could have a image clause where, you know, if you present in a way that they think is bad for the company, you can get fired. Or have you considered that, you know, a judge can take this into consideration in that, um, you know, custody case you're in or the divorce case you're going through. So, and really see if they understand the consequences of the actions. So, you know, people who are drug users, um, I don't shame them. I want them to stop. But what I will tell them is, okay, look, if you're not going to stop, you need to do it safely, right? Right, um, harm reduction and harm. Exactly. Yeah, totally. so, so that would be, I, if they're going to commit, um, you know, social suicide, as you're saying, I can't stop them from that. There's right. there's no legal 
uh, mandate for that, and that would be violating their privacy if okay. I, you know, told someone about that. But that's a very good that's a very good distinction. Yeah. No, I just I I have a lot of people that come to me with that. Like that's where they're meeting me. Like where it's like, hi, how are you today? Here's what I want to do. Like it's just like, God damn, like what do I do with this? You know, like I just cool, do it. <laughs> like how do I, you know, how do I benefit from this with your life being ruined? You know, like I just I think that like the male mind when aroused just has this level of like real depravity real need for destroying oneself and it's it's weird it's very weird how that all connects but i'm not a psychotherapist so i don't know you're just just a psycho yeah i'm just (laughs) i'm just a sociopath who gets the weird ones off the internet there you go at least you know it right i mean yeah but it just i mean all these years that i've done this like it just that's the thing like people think that it's been about like just getting lots of money from people but it just the stories and the the experiences that people want it's just it's so much more than the money like that's why i do it because it's i want to know that we're doing something that you can't do in a dungeon i want to know that you walked by the dungeon every night and like kind of frowned at yourself because nobody understood you and now you found the person to do this with you know and that that giddiness that happiness over connecting with someone that understands you and gets you in acceptance whatever it is I mean again like social suicide is just that's the norm of my life like I know guys that ruin their lives constantly just because it gets them off and I don't judge that that's what gets them off but I'm just curious, like, what it is, what it is about giving them that place of acceptance leads to self-destruction. I mean, you know. Yeah, yeah. And so everyone thinks of, when you think of therapy, you think of laying on the couch and somebody asking, so tell me about your relationship with your mother, right? That's like the old trope that the psychoanalytic therapy um, is not the most common form of therapy at all. Um, A lot of the therapies are going to be cognitive-based. So you've probably heard of CBT, um, but I'm not talking about cock and ball torture. I'm talking about cognitive behavioral therapy, where you work (laughs) to change the behavior or the cognition. So either stop them from doing the destructive behavior or help them realize what they're doing is destructive and they stop doing the destructive behavior so you know those are which is totally something that i practice as a dom anyway too it just that's the cbt that i practice more than anything in my and you you're definitely a lot on the behavioral end Mm -hmm. you know but that works and if it gets into a good place that's why there is some benefit to bdsm and kink um Mm -hmm. but it's not a replacement for therapy right and right. i tell people all the time that i'm not your therapist you might You're be very clear about that yeah like we might be going to a psychological place and doing lots of head play but this needs to be done like i am not a replacement for your therapy i uh, had i had asked you in a previous episode about 
what was the, how was the aftercare different? Like versus, you know, doing like an impact scene versus like deep psychological like play. Mm-hmm. And you were kind of saying that it's more about the communication and checking on them more regularly and talking to yeah. them and like all and of reassurance things. and reassurance, reassurance. don't matter. And that even though you took them for all their money and did whatever it was that you wanted to do with them and did this extreme act whatever your scene was, whatever your scene was, you know, that they still matter and that they're still important and they're still, you know, mm-hmm. necessary, you know, to their partners, their families, their, you know, mm-hmm. we may have fetishized you being worthless, but this is how we bring it back. This is how we build it back up again. And if you don't have the building blocks to kind of put that together with me and I'm the only one being like, oh, you're a good boy and you, you matter and all, like, that's a giant red flag to me of how, how you do respond. you how do you find that how do you decide if that if they have that capability or not I observe oh. the entire process dude I have to be so hyper aware of the entire process that again like I've kicked people out at the end and been like look I'm not kicking you out because you didn't give me enough money but I'm kicking you out because the aftercare that I'm giving you isn't receiving you you just want to stay in this fucking hole all your fucking life and just be in a pit of emotional masochism and i'm just the guy that kicked you into it this time you know and it's just like you're either on to the next dom to fucking experience something with them or if you're sticking around like you need to build that up and you need to give me something to break down next time because we are at zero right now you have no money you have no come you have no whatever left so what good are you to me you know and you're good to me because we just went through that now take that and build on that build on your support network know that you have a partner that loves you know that you you know but if you just want to wallow in that pit fucking plenty of people are going to take advantage of you down there this is just one little blip it may have been the most you ever did or whatever you know you went to places you never thought you'd go but now the bar has been set that low and you have to go even lower. And that's, that's a hard thing because most people find me because they don't find doms that can go the depths that I go. They, that we do things that most doms will not do because of the dangers involved with it. You know, and I took the risk. I play the game and I fucking, you know, I do what I need to do. But, you know, I, 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 I love knowing I'm setting the bar that low. I love knowing that I'm ruining them for other people and that you're not going to get an experience like this ever again. And it's going to stick with you for the rest of your life. And it either sticks with you as, damn, like they really took the time to like take me through that or what? Like, I don't, I don't know. What were you going to say? I was going to ask if you ask your potential clients about therapy do you have those conversations I ask everybody about therapy I mean it just I think that if you're going to relate to anybody in this world it doesn't matter if it's kink or not like if you guys have therapy in common you already have the tool be like oh tune into that you have to do active listening tune into that you can do you know you can negotiate better just knowing that you both have done this process together it forms a bond. I think the red flag is more that 
they won't go to therapy or that they are in therapy or they're somehow lying to their therapist like but again those are things that it's just like I know those about you and it just like when we're deep in it and I'm telling you what a shitty human being you are and you're just wallowing in that like a pig I'm gonna throw in there and you aren't even in therapy for this shit you know (laughs) that's how and when you choose to bring it up (laughs) I mean, I, again, I don't, I meet people in a place of non-judgment. So again, I can't like, I'll note right. it, I'll note it and be like, okay, they're not in therapy. Like what could they possibly have? Bipolar, schizophrenia. I mean, there's just with methamphetamine and methamphetamine psychosis. Like there's just so many things that are already going on that have them at this place of a bend anyway. Like what's a therapist going to do? you know know. like nothing because this person ultimately wants to get off to this fucked up thing that they can't even tell their therapist so Mm -hmm. yeah they have to know that so there's stages of change um if they don't even realize that it's a problem and that they need to change something they're not ready for therapy Uh, a therapist can work with them to try and help them understand that and get them there but they're not ready to make the change so it's going to take a lot longer um, well, the, the clients who come in, like, I have this issue, I need to change something, uh-huh. and they're ready to actually make the change, that's gold for a therapist. Yeah, and I think that when people meet me, and I take them to this place, like, that might be their indicator that that might be the time. Like, I, I take people to dark places, and then when we come out of those dark places, I have had people say, you know what, this needs, this was so therapeutic in the way that it was so fucked up and dark that I now need to go process this and I need to I've never thought I was capable of this I never thought I was whatever of this but I need to go therapize this you know and heal this a little bit with somebody who has a little bit more knowledge about this than you do and those are the people I really respect that are just like Ooh, yeah, totally. Good for you, man. Like, way to use this as the springboard for that. But the ones that just want to keep in that place and just keep in that hotness of it, it just, it, it, it's not possible. Again, you're just, you're living a fantasy life. So, yeah, I mean, like, yeah, kink is, has risk. So people can use that for self care. Uh, and I think that's important, but there's Using still risk, risk for self-care. It's quite a well, radical. Well, well but, okay. But like, for example, if you like, but no, it, it fits. If, if you like getting spanked, your therapist is not going to do that for you. So you need to go into the kink world, like obviously. So, you know, if that helps you cope with something great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The mental health benefits of kink are huge. I think that's something that we all talk about that we weren't well, really. And there's such a thing as too much therapy too. Like when you've been in therapy for a while, you hit a wall and you're just like, I can't take this anymore. And like, there's such a thing as too much kink also. It feels the exact same <laughs> and way. And sometimes you need a break from it that too. It feels the exact same way. You can't always be doing the thing. Right. Or sometimes you just need to change. So mm-hmm. maybe you've gone as far as you can with that therapist or you've gone to the extent you can with that dom and you want to go further with something it's okay to say you're like hey you know what this has been great 
I really like what we did here. I feel I'm doing better with this, this, and that. Um, and if they say like, oh, no, I can totally help you with this, great. No, I totally know more about this. Let's take you to that next step, great. But it, you know, it's, you need to make sure that you're getting what you want out of it in therapy and in kink. Mm-hmm. I think adjusting frequency is valuable there, you know? Mm. Well said. Yeah, definitely. I got pee. Okay. This is our favorite part of the show. Right. I kept I kept this in on the I kept this in on the last one. You didn't I don't know. I don't I didn't post it yet. That's why I'm posting it today or tomorrow. All right. Have fun. BRB. We're not going. Arth gets shy about this of all things. Hope everything comes out okay. This is uh this is intense. All right, how are you doing? Are you having fun? I'm having a blast. Oh good. He's so fun, right? Oh my gosh. Isn't he great? I, I like him. I would literally never do anything kink wise with him. Scary. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, like I said, I need the nurturing type. Then he's like, nope. That was very fast again. You're an Olympic speed peer. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'm a little impressed. Were you trying to impress us? That would happen. <laughs> with my peeing ability? Yeah. yeah. Tell you all were, your friends. You were really fast. Birthdays. Some people pay extra for that. So, uh huh. Yeah, exactly. Some people just want to be pissed on. Some people want a really fast peer. (laughs) Very specialty top. Very, very random fun fact that has nothing to do with what we're talking about. Um, (laughs) Mammals in general, it takes on average 21 seconds to empty their bladder and no more than 60 seconds. If you are a uh, squirrel or an elephant, max time 60 seconds. Damn. It takes it takes arch eight seconds total before because okay, I'm an animal because I'm an animal. There you go, motherfucker. Yeah. Okay, we so we do the show, but then we stop to make fun of each other. So I think we Me stop too. and joke. Around. Well, my influence to the show is a comedian's podcast, so it just like you still haven't listened. You don't. Okay, know. so wait, are you talking about two bears, one cave? Yes. Why didn't you tell me that this was not a gay show? Because I, str- I didn't think I needed to say anything about Two that. Bears, One Cave. I mean, it sounds... It's... Okay, so we're going to mention this briefly because we don't have nine hours to discuss this. That bad teacher at uh-huh. you. This goes along with straight men that are obsessed with gay culture. And you talked about this a little bit this week because of the podcast you sent me about that guy right this is just another example like straight men think gay sex is hilarious like it just it's this place that they don't know anything about so by picking that as their title like it just it had nothing to do with that but it was a definite like them finding out that bears were a thing and like wait who's two bears one cave tom segura and bert kreischer knew it yes okay i've heard yeah. of them before they're- okay so it was on purpose so that's why i thought yeah that's no what they're they're both hilarious but yes. they, are, they, they would be yes. they both would be categorized as bears that's absolutely yes. accurate and that's what i'm saying but like, they're not tom gay Segura, but tom no. segura like i hope that like we can at him and be like tom segura like i would love to talk to him and just dispel every single rumor and every single like they find it hilarious it's another example of straight men that are obsessed with like well i just assumed it was a gay show because i and then i was talking i found out through wade that it wasn't 
And again, they have a heavy segment on their show, which is pretty much all the fisting videos that they can find surface level on the internet. And it's like, wow. if you're like, if that's what offends them and what they can find with all their vast knowledge of like the internet and like where they find their heavy segment, dude, I got you covered. I got <laughs> rosebuds for years, years that make what you're watching on that show in the heavy segment look like a church picnic <laughs> really nadav get a hold of your boy i'm just happy we can mention tom segura bert kreischer mm -hmm. on this show and maybe they'll hear it maybe they'll hear it and be like wow a kink podcast is talking about us again two straight guys that are obsessed with a world they know nothing about except through peeking over at you know over the fence every now and then and Maybe they'll see a rosebud. Who knows? Stop yeah. with that. Talking <laughs> about someone's garden. We're, we're already. We're garden. All... If you're peeking over the fence, you're gonna see a garden. And if it's maybe... your garden, yeah. No, my garden is weeds. There is no roses no. in this garden. <laughs> there are no roses in this garden. So no. But if you're peeking over that gay fence, you're gonna see a rosebud. So be prepared. I mean, we could share the screen and bring up examples of rosebuds. <laughs> so dramatic like i'm not gonna say i'll break my monitor but <laughs> yeah i'll join you on that yeah yeah the eye bleach is running a little yeah low. it's like it's my brain is it's done with this conversation i don't I, i'm getting i don't need to look it up and you already... want to hang out with the likes of me i do this is why people are going to come to our podcast because they're like, I learned about kink and then they went on this long rant about. <laughs> so, so yeah. So, I mean, we started with psychology in this episode. We had teasers of anal fisting. I mean, why wouldn't someone want to listen to this podcast? In this you guys episode? have everything. We, we really me. do. We really do. Anyway, mm, okay. next topic. Yeah. All right, so let's move on to the responses we got from our Instagram post. So I told people we were having a mental health counselor come on and I got a couple of questions about narcissistic personality disorder. So would you be able to just explain to us what that is and maybe, um, you know, cause it's something we see on social media a lot nowadays. People are really kind of talk about conflating things. Um, yeah. And maybe how it presents itself because there's so many different people using that term these days. Thank no, and, and that's yeah. that's huge. Um, my least favorite thing about the internet right now is how many people are putting out content that explains some of the symptoms of a mental health issue. And then people are like, oh, I have that, I have that, I have that, I must have it. No, don't, you can't diagnose yourself. I can't hey, diagnose myself. TikTok is not an accurate diagnosis. Yes. Okay. So I will yeah. say there are, there are medical professionals on there who are giving out good information, but I think all of them would agree with me when I say, even if you think you have it because of something on TikTok, you cannot diagnose yourself. Um, self-diagnosis is huge now. That's like a very and big glorification movement. of the fact that you're self-diagnosing. That's a very big movement. Yeah, WebMD um, sucks because you know you'll have a cough and it'll tell you you know you have gone herpesyphilates like just you know it's nothing <laughs> i just had covid uh sure <laughs> I, I wanted to go as worse you know as bad as possible but um no but it's it's 
a problem. And also if, okay, if you come in and you say, I have anxiety and I say, what does anxiety look like? And you can't tell me, then I'm going to question whether or not you have anxiety or if you're just hunting. You're chosen by proxy. <laughs> right, yeah, right. Or, or if you're hunting for a diagnosis, you can say you have it. Um, but okay, sorry, off track. Um, so personality disorders in general, one of the things that's a big hallmark of those is that it impedes things in regular life, right? So you can have a narcissistic personality trait. Um, I can think I'm hot shit. I'm the best. Wonderful. If it doesn't impede my daily life, it's not a disordered personality trait. Okay. So that's just holding the traits of it without having the disorder. Exactly. Um, and I think it's very easy to say that person's narcissistic and then someone will think, oh, they have narcissistic personality disorder. That's why they're narcissistic. No, like the story of Narcissus, if you guys are familiar, the original yes. story, it was literally just about. Do you know that. it, Arch? Oh. Narcissus and Goldman. No, no. Well, maybe maybe because I'm just kidding. Maybe, Go ahead. Right. <laughs> maybe that's why I've been with so many narcissists. Maybe because it's maybe because it's a yeah. Maybe you need to right? hear it. Maybe. Mandy, you want to tell? Life. So um, I'm not going to tell it well. Do you want to do it? Uh yeah. Uh, narcissist was so in love with himself that he was looking at his reflection in water and he drowned himself because he was <laughs> so obsessed with that's looking awesome. at himself. Serves you right, dude. Serves right. you right. That right. is the so, very, very short. That's the gist. So he actually might have had. That's a disordered level of, of narcissism. If you drown yourself because you think you're so <laughs> great. Um, I'm glad you told us that. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but but the narcissistic personality disorder part of it is going to be that they don't think they can do anything wrong. They're better than everyone else. Everybody and they usually should. don't think they're narcissists. Right. Because why would they? There's nothing wrong with them. Right. They're perfect. Wrong is the word that I feel that that's the language that I find that those types of people tend to use. There's nothing wrong with me. Right. Um, they won't. They, they're going to think they're the best. They deserve the best. If you have something better than them, they're going to want it. Um, they're not going to empathize with you. Um personality disorders in general, you know, it's, it's a lot of taking advantage of people too. Um, not every one of them, but that is a thing. So, uh, there's actually a book, the title of is, uh, I hate you don't leave me. And it's about, I believe borderline personality disorder. Basically the concept is you're the worst. I'm right. You're wrong, but I need you. Right. So they won't be able to tell that, that they're really actually not what they think they are so for example i actually had a client um who had narcissistic personality disorder and um he played guitar and he tried out for a band and they rejected him they said nope we don't want you in his band and he's like i know i'm good like all those he literally listed off like hendrix steve Vai. they fix it in post they clip stuff together no they don't they practice all the time they're actually amazing. Like, well, obviously not alive anymore, but they were at the time amazing. Um, he literally did not, he literally thought he was as good as those other people and as good as anyone he would hear on the radio, um, which 
at the time, while I was interning, I worked at a music college. So I knew for a fact that wasn't true, um, even without knowing how well or not he played guitar. Um, but anyway, so a nar someone with narcissistic personality disorder, they're going to have a hard time maintaining relationships. And the relationships they do maintain are going to be basically emotionally abusive because they can't do anything wrong. So they're going to gaslight their partner because they didn't do it wrong. You did it wrong. Even if they're from an objective stance, totally wrong, they will never see it. So people being narcissistic, they will do things. So I, I, I think a big part of the, the question too um, was that there's a negative perception of people with narcissistic personality disorder. I think that's because there's a misunderstanding of they don't actually have narcissistic personality disorder. You're just calling them a narcissist and then saying they have a personality disorder. Well, and when you meet true narcissists too, you can kind of flash back and see the person that had such low self-esteem that they had to develop this as a coping skill. Right. And that's a very good point. Um, personality disorders are developed in response to something that happened in their life. Mm -hmm. um, this particular client, his mother always told him he wasn't good enough and really did not care like to, to raise him that well. So when he became an adult, he was the perfect father. He was the perfect this. He, he owned his own business. If it didn't do well, it wasn't his fault. It was the client's. So, it takes a certain amount of self-curation as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because you could put two people in the same situation and one could come out with the disorder and the other could not. Right. It just depends on the people. Um, so I believe there was more to that question. Do you want to talk more about that? So, yes. So you're saying that we overuse this term to define or to attribute these qualities to people that they have narcissistic qualities, but people are using the wrong terminology and saying that that's a disorder. Yes. I will go further than that and say we overuse a lot of terms because they're not fully understood. Uh, for sure. example, someone will say, I have PTSD. Uh, you know, this happened to me yesterday. I have PTSD. Technically, you might have trauma, but PTSD has to have uh, enduring impacts six months after the event happened. That is a minimum qualification. I'm not saying you don't have trauma, but you would have acute stress disorder, right? So you're self-diagnosing with PTSD. I'm going to think there's far-reaching trauma. You're talking about something that happened last month, totally different way of treating it, right? Mm -hmm. So or my biggest personal pet peeve as somebody who has ADHD that's I got diagnosed I'm on medication for when someone's like oh I have ADD like no you just get distracted you can get back on task I literally my brain doesn't work that way mm -hmm. so we misuse these terms rampantly not just with narcissistic personality disorder but I think that's a, an up-and-coming one if you will Right. Well, the disruption and it bleeds to, out into other parts of our life too. The mm -hmm. dis the disruption of daily life and and how many times are you getting distracted a day? Like you know the 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 data there. Like oh yeah, I forget things sometimes too. It's like well, do you forget twenty things every single day? Do you walk into a room twenty times a day and and not know why you're there? Like how like what is the frequency that these things are happening? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think like with social media and the internet, there's good and bad to all of the information that's out there. We were just talking about good and bad kink information. Um, are there any good mental health pages that you know of that you would recommend for people? Um, you know what? We're not I'm right drawing, now. I'm that's drawing fine. a blank on the name, but I will send you, there is a woman who does pretty good 
uh, informational stuff on mental health issues. Um, and I'll send you her YouTube page. And cool. um, again, uh, with any of that, don't just believe the person on the YouTube video or on this podcast or any other podcast, because they are not diagnosing you. They don't know you um, and your therapist will. I like a therapy in a nutshell. Um, they're on YouTube. I like that channel, but again, I'm not a professional, so I don't know. I'd like, that's just my opinion as someone who, you know, is interested in those things. And there's, you know, like personally for, if you are someone who's ADHD, how to ADHD has a lot of good information. Mm -hmm. Yes. I like that account as well. It's one of my favorites. That's Um, a good one. So yeah, I mean, there's, there's a whole ton of different, you know, resources you can find, but, um, what you want to do is make sure there's research backing what they say. And also, if it sounds too good to be true, find another source that says it, but don't search the piece of information you want, search the question you're trying to answer. So if I search, for example, are the Brooklyn Nets the best team of all time? I'm going to find biased information about the Brooklyn Nets being the best team of all time. If I search who is the best team of all time in the NBA, I'm going to get an objective answer with more potential options. So if you're saying, do I have, you know, this, or is this research right? You're going to find people that are supporting that. Yes, absolutely. Good advice. Yeah. Very good. Also good advice for your papers if you're writing them. Very true. So the other part of this narcissistic personality question was the assumed narcissism of kinksters. So this follower, this came from Derek. Thanks, Derek. He saw a post claiming that people who send unsolicited nudes to people. So people who send like unsolicited dick pics, this post or this article, I think I think it was, was claiming that people that do that unsolicited are likely to be narcissistic. They were kind of conflating that and aligning that behavior with kinksters or dominance or subs or other people who like to maybe be like exhibitionist in nature as in those two things are the same thing. Now, I know we all know that's not the same because one is consensual and one is not. And we get that why those two things are, are not, um, you know, equal there. But Derek was explaining to me that there was just like a vibe that sex addicts, kinksters and promiscuous people are all narcissists, narcissists, and therefore like inherently toxic people by default. Yeah. I would say that's the big the big uh, example of the personality trait versus the personality disorder. Um, because yeah, if I send you a picture of my junk and that's cause I think you want to see it. I think it's pretty great. Right. Like I'm, unless you're into humiliation, you're not sending someone a picture of you that you don't think is attractive. Right. Um, you think they want this, this has value to them. And somebody with narcissistic personality disorder might also do that. But I don't think, again, I think that's kind of correlation versus causation. It's somebody might actually, you know what? No, that's an attribution error. That's what that is. It's saying they have narcissistic personality disorder. Therefore they're sending this, or if you send this, you have it. That's not true. Um, You could literally just be a person who wants to rile people up and like, just thinks it's funny and you can send a dick pic right? Like that has nothing to do with personality or personality disorder. You just could be a jerk. Like, you know, we don't need to diagnose that. So. Hey, I'm not saying you are, if you do. I'm just kidding. No, you don't have to say anything. He just said it all. (laughs) If if you guys are not on Patreon, 
buying our ad-free videos, you should, because then you could see all of Arch's reactions to things. Because <laughs> that's, that's all. Impressive. You can't put a price on that. Can't put a price on the nonverbal. Right. Exactly. For sure. Yep. All right. Yeah. The, the last part of that was just that this person was saying that people with true NPD are being treated as toxic abusers kind of by default just like how people with bipolar disorder um, were kind of other it is like, a, a, like throw the whole person away like because this person sure. has this thing, they are, they are toxic and incapable of healthy relationships. So I will say um, my experience, the one client I had with narcissistic personality disorder that fit the bill. However, you can have a disorder and work on it. Um, you know, there is no cure for a personality disorder. You treat the symptoms. So, right. I would imagine as a counselor, it would be very hard to get an, someone with true NPD to admit that, like we were saying before, there was anything wrong. It's hard wrong to get that as a diagnosis, even. Yes. Um, people will frequently not diagnose a personality disorder because that is a stamp of, there's not a medication to fix this. You're just, this is who you are. Um, and again, a trait versus disorder, uh, you got to be very careful with that line. Um, especially when you're diagnosing someone, because that impacts the future. Um, if I get somebody who comes in with a diagnosis, I will still check that I think they have that diagnosis. I will still dig for research, even if another clinician prescribed it, because sometimes they miss something. Um, so the DSM, the uh, Diagnostic Statistics Manual, is what all mental health clinicians diagnose out of. Uh, there's a new edition that just came out actually. Um, but when you're looking at that, there's a concept of differential diagnosis. Um, differential diagnosis is what's the difference between this and that. So um, an easy example, somebody who's bipolar, um, they have the high upside and the depression that could look very similar to someone who has ADHD and unipolar or regular depression, right? So there's a phrase that's used very frequently, if not better explained by, right? So somebody could be sending a dick pic because they have narcissistic personality disorder, but is there a better explanation? Um, and I think typically there's going to be, especially with personality disorders, that takes a longer time to diagnose, so. Well said. Thank you. I found it interesting. They were just kind of assuming that like people that send dick pics unconsensually, non-consensually are also kinksters somehow. Like how did that, where did that line happen? Mm. Who got from that A to Z? Like what? <laughs> yeah, because I, like people who send, sorry, but I just, it blows my mind. People that send unsolicited dick pics are likely to be narcissistic, just like kinksters. It's like everything we do is so solicited. It's <laughs> specifically right, like, solicited. There's so much, uh, if you are in the community and you're not a pariah, you've learned about consent at some point, right? The King community has a lot about consent in it. So sending an unwarranted dick pic, it does not have consent involved. Um, and there are, okay, there's people in every community that are not going to follow the rules. Duh. But right. Yeah. Um, if you have any semblance of being a reasonable human being and you know what consent is, and you send a dick pic, you know you're violating that consent, and that's not a great thing. Okay. Cool. So in wrapping right. up, yeah. In wrapping up, thank you, Mandy, for coming on today. And oh, thank you. Thank you yeah. for listening. If you have anything you'd like us to cover on upcoming episodes, please let us know. 
You can find us on Instagram. And if you'd like to support the podcast, check us out at patreon.com slash kingpositivepodcast. If you'd like to work with one of us or one-on-one, go to allformasterarts.com, functionalkink.com, and onlyfans.com slash thatbadteacher. Yes, Mandy, thank you so much for coming on. We appreciate it. You guys are great. I love the podcast. And uh, I'm not looking forward to hearing this because I hate my own voice, but otherwise it'd be great. (laughs) You got it. Thanks, guys. Don't forget to stay kinky and stay positive. See you next Tuesday, cunts. Beautiful. You nailed it. Doesn't get any better than that. Beautiful.